Fest. And this is the kickoff of Missions Fest when we celebrate that God called us not only to be here, but to be a church that's everywhere in this region and throughout the world. Uh, I actually spoke, the first time I spoke here was in the year 2000. Rob Boo asked me to come in and, and be a speaker at, at our missions event. Uh, this wasn't even our church yet. And I was so taken by what happened and, and the commitment of this church that I went home. We, we lived in Palatine at that time. And, and when I went home that day, I said to Marie, I said, honey, if the Lord ever lets us move down into the Wheaton area, we have found our church. Because we have to be in a place that wants to reach the world, and, and this is. So welcome, everybody. Now, I have three slides I want to show you, and this is, I think you're going to like this. First one, that is a copy of what I've got in my hand right now, the original book of meetings of when this church started back in 1929. More on that in just a minute. Next. That's my granddaughter. Uh, just, you know, I just wanted to do it, yeah. Seven months old yesterday, yeah. I think she's looking right at me, isn't she? Yes. Amazing. <laughs> All of you that were grandparents before us that said, just wait, you were right. It's immediate and never-ending infatuation. It just, yeah. Okay, next slide. All right. That's the inside of this book. And um, this church started on June 12th, 1929, June 12, 1929. It was started as the Wheaton College Interdenominational Church. And at the very first meeting of the board, they formed a missions committee, which meant from the very get-go, they were gonna be about missions. Now, what else occurred in 1929? The stock market crashed. So October 29th, 1929, the whole economic fabric of the United States collapses. The first year of the start of this church, the economy literally collapses and falls apart. Remember that, that's October. June, October. Now, I take you to the following April. April, 1930. And the reason I make the point about the stock market crash is you can't believe what this church is going to do when they have no money. Here it is. In the 15th meeting of the Board of Elders, April 8, 1930, the chairman reported that at a meeting of the cabinet last week, a committee comprised of the Sunday school superintendent, two members of the board, and two members of the Board of Deacons was created to investigate the advisability of an evangelistic campaign here in this area. So their very first year they formed as a church, after the collapse of the economy, they are saying, we've got to find a way to do an evangelistic campaign in the greater Wheaton area. They brought in somebody from the Billy Sunday campaign movement, and he helped advise them on whether they should build a tabernacle to seat 1,000 or to seat 2,000. If they built a tabernacle to seat 1,000, it would cost about $1,000. And if they did 2,000 people, about $2,000. At that time, then, it says the Sunday school superintendent also stood up and said, let us not forget, whatever we're gonna do in evangelism, we need to remember that child evangelization is a major opportunity of this new church. So. First year, like less than a year after they formed, collapse of the economy. They're immediately already thinking of how are they going to reach their local area with Jesus Christ. 
Pretty amazing. At the same meeting, Chairman Huckman, chairman of the missionary committee, reported the proposed missionary and benevolence budget to be presented to the church for the coming year, and he recommended the first six missionaries to be sent out from the Wheaton College Interdenominational Church. They are Moses Gitlin, Jewish work in Poland. Now, the first one that stood out was Moses Gitlin to reach Jews in Poland. Dan Sarad, who was standing right over there, the head of Jews for Jesus, you're gonna get to know him more this week if you come to some of these events. He came up to me after the first hour, he says, that's amazing that the first missionary on your list you sent out to reach Jews in Poland in 1930. Because by the middle of the 40s, three million Polish Jews will be killed in the Holocaust. Every death camp was in Poland. And so to reach Jews in Poland was more strategic than anyone would have ever imagined at that time. Dan was quite taken about that, and so am I. Then Mr. and Mrs. Steiner, they went to, I can't quite see where, northern border of India near Nepal. James Schreiber to Oak Hills Fellowship. I don't know where that is. Margaret Elliott to China. Annabelle McLeod doesn't say where she went. Stefano Leeper to Central America. Within one year, the formation of this church, in the midst of the collapsed economy, they planned an area-wide evangelistic campaign and sent out six missionaries to Central America, to China, to India, to Nepal, to Poland. Absolutely astounding. That's why missions is so big here. That's why evangelism and missions is a core. From the very beginning, that's who this church was. That's what it was formed to be. No wonder when I came here to preach and sensed this, I said, boy, would I love to be a part of that. I hope you feel the same way. You're a part of one of the major churches in America to reach both the local and the world for Jesus Christ. So let's take a quick look at that now. I'm gonna camp on a couple of the things that Bill said. But when we talk about missions or outreach, we use the term reach the world for that. And we have a vast local outreach that we do and a vast global in, in just real quick form. First of all, the evangelism we do through our own church. This year as last year, we'll see somewhere between 500 and 1,000 people who've given their lives to Christ or made spiritual decisions through you this year in our church. Secondly, we plant new campuses. We recognize and know there's a million people within a 30 minute drive that don't know Jesus Christ, so we gotta plant new churches to see it happen. Our first one started five weeks ago. We've seen 20 people make decisions for Christ just in that time. Third, this is where we're really hot, in my opinion. Social healing. Some people call it social justice. Some people call it social work, et cetera, et cetera. It's recognizing where are their needs in people's lives in our local region, and we're gonna do something about it. The biggest thing we do is this incredible thing called Puente del Pueblo, Bridges of the People, and that's where nearly 170 of you volunteer every week with Matthew McNeil and our team, where we're doing tutoring of students, where we're helping people with uh, learning the English language, uh, some assistance in refugee immigration issues, on and on it goes. It's an absolutely fantastic ministry. 
In addition to that, we have a refugee resettlement program, hunger team, big buddies, and nine more partnerships that we do with organizations like World Relief, CareNet for pregnant women, and on and on it goes. We're deeply engaged in that uh, right here in our area and we're gonna get better and better because Jesus came to heal every disease and every sickness, all right? Now, globally, global, and this is where I'm spending most of my time. Next week, Chris McElway will speak and he'll talk to you more about the whole local side of what we do and, and why we should do it. 100 missionaries, 45 nations of the world, special focus regions, Kenya to deal with the AIDS crisis, Europe to deal with immigration issues, refugees, and especially reaching Muslim people coming to the shores of Europe. Third, in the Middle East. This is the most recent place where God's led us to do special focus. You say, well, what's the difference between that and your 100 missionaries in 45 nations? Here's the difference. In the special focus regions, we send not only people we, send, we, we form partnerships with organizations on the ground. We send money, and we even help with the strategy of, of, with what's happening. You can hear more about that tonight because all three of those special focus regions will be uh, in our, uh, our, this Goliath thing that we're doing, the Goliath-sized thing, so you can hear more about it. Uh, it's, it's great. Then go teams. How many of you were on a go team this last year in this, in this service? Okay. How many of you have ever been on a go team? All right, well, we can get more from this service to go on go teams. We've had, we had about 200 going to 13 different locations uh, this year. We've got them planned. In fact, the table's out there. Kyle will tell you more about it later on the nine places we know for sure God's calling us to throughout the world. Love to have you go. Changes your life. I want 200 to become 2,000 of us going on go teams as time goes on. So you can see, we have carried on what was begun by those in 1929 and 1930. It's just just a part of the water around here, everybody. Part of the water. And if you haven't been swept up in it, expect to. Because God wants to give you a heart to be sent. Whether it's to your neighborhood, to your workplace, to your school, or he's gonna call some of you to, to regions of the world. He'll certainly call you to Puente. He'll certainly call you to Carefest. All this, it's just who we are. You see, and it's all because of 1929 and 1930? No, that would be a sin. It goes a lot farther back in that. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter nine. Matthew chapter 9, open them or turn them on, starting verses 35 through 38. This is where it all began, this reach the world stuff. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are too few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. It all begins with Jesus. 
He doesn't stay locked down in Galilee or locked down in Jerusalem. From the time he emerges, he starts going everywhere. Notice the second word in the sentence, verse 35. He went, that's the verb, he went. Down in the next, he saw. After that, he felt. He went, he saw, he felt. He was going from the very beginning. Not only did he go, where did he go? It says the one, two, three, fourth word in the NIV. He went to all the towns and villages. He went everywhere. He went everywhere. The use of all there is a precursor to the use of the word all that will take place before he ascends to the Father where he will say, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make followers of what? All nations. What begins in Judea will become the world. God the Father sent the Son and God the Son sends his church to the whole world. That's the kind of movement we've got going on here. Now, notice, it says that Jesus was teaching in every town and village in the synagogues, proclaiming and teaching, proclaiming and teaching. He was teaching what? The good news of the kingdom. It doesn't say the good news of Jesus. It doesn't say the good news of God. It does say that in other places in the Bible. Good news simply means gospel. We throw the word gospel around all the time and aren't sure what it means. It means good news. There's some good message. Jesus here, three times in the New Testament, the good news of the kingdom. Okay, let's camp on that for a second. The kingdom. What is the kingdom? It's the inauguration of a whole new world order. It's not gonna be any longer Greece ruling the world, nor Rome, to tell you the truth. It's not gonna be Persia, it's not gonna be uh, um, Babylon. Those are great civilizations, not even Egypt, Luther. Luther will be up here in a minute and try to convince us that Egypt's the center of the world, just get ready for it. It's the kingdom, it's the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. Jesus is giving good news about a new world order. And as we study him and study what he has said and those that interpret him and what they said, it's the good news of a new world order where everything wrong will be made right. Where darkness and evil and, and, and human sorrows and sin are obliterated in the new kingdom. He inaugurated it. Behold, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the good message. Something new is up. Something new is up. I, I'm a fan of um, Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. I also don't sleep well at night anymore. Those, those are kind of crazy juxtapositions, aren't they? But they make you listen. That's all that matters. So when I can't sleep in the middle of the night and I get up and have some warm milk and then I usually flip through some television stations to find something that will put me to sleep right away. 
I came to the Lord of the Rings. I think it was on Wednesday night. That was a mistake because uh, I really love it and I couldn't go back to sleep, all right? And, and the whole notion of the Lord of the Rings uh, is, this, is this idea of earth in, in great travail and brokenness everywhere and evil and vile and wicked and, and all of this and, and can it ever, can wrong ever get right? And there's, there's this one little segment where one of the coolest hobbits on the planet his name's Samwise Gamgee. He's talking to the coolest guy in Middle Earth. His name is Gandalf. I, know, I like Aragorn too, but you know, Gandalf was smart. And he says to the great, almost messianic figure of, uh, of Middle Earth, uh, simple, wonderful Sam simply says this to him. He says, Gandalf, will all that is sad come to be not true? Will all that is sad someday not be true? That's what he's asking. That's what Jesus was addressing. Wrong. All that is sad will not always be this way. A new world order is launched at the life death and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that's the good news something big is happening and it happens through Jesus now let's keep on with the text look with me if you will to the fact that 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 kingdom that he's preaching about is substantiated by what he does he heals every disease and sickness he's showing that, that there's some power attached with his presence. There's show, some showing that wherever he goes, wrong is made right, you see? So he's living out what he says. And then in verse 36, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed, they were helpless, they were like sheep with no shepherd. Three descriptors there. When he saw the crowds, he felt deeply. Why? Because they were harassed, they were helpless, they were sheep without a shepherd. And, and the word harassed means um, that, that when Jesus looked at the people, they, they were tormented. They were bewildered. They were being, if you will, beat up on every side by life. That's what Jesus saw. When he saw them, they were harassed. Is that true today? I, I still remember when Marie and I moved here from California. Uh, 25 years ago, God got mad at us, made us move to the Midwest. Uh, <laughs> we, we repented, we remorsed, now we love the Midwest. Okay. Um, but we moved to a place called Palatine, Illinois. And uh, we, were, we were terribly struck just by the street God led us to. It was Carpenter Drive in Palatine, Illinois. 655 Carpenter Drive, Palatine, Illinois. As we drove down the street, we noticed that every house had beautiful green lawns and even a little boulevard, a sidewalk, and then some more grass. 
And, and on the corner of every lot, there was a little gas lamp. And when we first went there, it was dusk, and the gas lamps were beginning to flow. The lawns were so beautiful. The houses were so freshly painted. The, the, everything was manicured, and there's a little gas lamp. It was a place where all the women are strong, all the men are handsome, and all the children are above normal. <laughs> At least on the surface. But then life happens. And so as we moved in and we started getting to know our neighbors and have them over, uh, Tom and Ann, right across the street, one, one house to the left of us, they had lost their son. He had been hit while he was riding his bicycle by a hit-and-run driver and murdered him. And they never did find out who. I think they did tw toward the end. It took years. How do you live with that? Harassed. Uh, next door was Greg and Cheryl, beautiful couple, wonderful family, about the same age as us. And when Marie was pregnant with Eric, Cheryl was pregnant with their son. But they weren't preparing for the birth the way we were, you know, new crib, new, um, everything boomer had to be everything for the kids, you know. We spoiled them, still do. Uh, but Greg and Cheryl weren't. And they, they're like every other house, it was an Infinity and BMW and top-of-the-line Toro, Toro snowblower uh, neighborhood. Um, but why? Well, we had them over to dinner, and in the quietness of an after-dinner coffee, they said, it's very hard for us with this baby because we lost our last child to sudden infant death syndrome. And we're scared. Harassed. Our side of the street, down three houses, Dave and Hope. Hope, the best mother I've ever seen next to my wife. Loved her kids, loved them deeply, totally devoted to several children. But as we got to know Dave and Hope, she expressed one time why she wanted to be the best mom in the world because she had actually witnessed her father shoot her mother, turn the gun on himself, and kill himself right in front of her. The way she coped was to try to become the best mom she could possibly be. Even 655 Carpenter Drive with a gas lamp in every lawn is a place where the world is harassed. Jesus saw that. That's number one. Number two, Jesus saw that the world was helpless. This is an even stronger word. It's right there in 36. Harassed and helpless. Helpless means as good as dead. It means, it means laid out prostrate. It means like in a tomb. When Jesus saw the people, he saw them harassed, tormented, beaten up on every side, and as good as dead. Well, that probably has to do with the fact that spiritually, they were. Apart from Jesus Christ, Life in this world never finds peace and hope and life forever is separated from God and that's a spiritual death. So he could see what was happening to people. Now he could see what was going to be happening later. And he ties it all up, really, in the third descriptor where he says, like sheep with no shepherd. Sheep with no shepherd. Now here's, sometimes I use contrast to help get a point across. Here's, here's what that doesn't say. And he saw that they were harassed and helpless. They were like buffalo 
running across the Pacific, the, the great north, southwest. Strong, lumberous. They were like mighty buffalo on the range. He doesn't say that. He says sheep. He doesn't say they were like long-haired steers carving up the trails from Texas to Montana. <laughs> Thank you, sister. <laughs> Every once in a while I get her to laugh and it's good. He says sheep. Sheep. Even the English word sheep, it's not like buffalo. It's sheep. Docile. Incapable of caring for themselves. If there wasn't a shepherd, sheep just got lost and died. If there wasn't a shepherd, sheep would walk to the edge of a cliff and walk off. If there wasn't a shepherd, every mountain lion and wolf would be fat because the sheep didn't know how to run or defend itself. He uses sheep to describe humankind. Harassed, helpless, as good as dead, like sheep without a shepherd. No wonder, no wonder he felt so deeply. That's what it says. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That compassion is not like a gentle, emotive reaction. That word is the strongest possible word, incidentally, only used of Jesus Christ in the New Testament or used of characters he depicts in his parables. Compassion. It's like everything in you is crying out, we have to do something. That's our Lord. Harassed, as good as dead, dead in trespasses and sins, like sheep without a shepherd, and compassion rises up inside him. We have to do something. We have to do something. And so, from the time of Jesus Christ, through 1929 and 30 to the year 2016, our church and churches like us all over the world exist to do something. The kingdom is at hand and we carry on the mantle that he himself assumed, making everything that is wrong right, turning sad to untrue. And it's a battle. It's a battle as long as we live. I still remember the first, I'm doing really fine on time here. I don't know why. I must have forgot a bunch of stuff. <laughs> oh, well, I'm having fun. I hope you are. Um, the first go team I went on was when we lived in California. Go team means short-term mission trip. We took a bunch of these kids, high school college kids and we headed from San Francisco down through LA to go to Mexico where we were going to build homes and I still remember Shelley Allen because Shelley Allen only went on the trip because we were going to drive through LA and uh, you know all that oh can we stop look at that mall let's stop there oh Disneyland let's stop let's stop you know and she was making me sick by the end, uh, first day uh, but I had an ace up my sleeve 
we crossed the border into Mexico. And suddenly she saw children with no shoes. And suddenly she saw sh shacks held together by cardboard with no floors. And I still remember it was like, it was like guttural from inside Shelley Allen who only wanted to, uh, you know, enjoy California. Well, she saw this and she, I still remember, she was sitting right behind me in the middle seat on the van and she goes, Pastor Lon, do people live there? I say, yes. And just guttural cry, we have to do something. Hallelujah, conversion. We have to do something. And it, if Jesus Christ lives in you, you've got that pressing in you all the time. I don't know what God's calling you to do, but I know he's calling you to do something. To lead people to Jesus and make a bad world good. Whatever, here, here's our 10th value that, that Pastor Rob has come up with the 12 values. And I don't know why he had me speak on evangelism. Uh, but look what he wrote. I just love this line. We will do whatever it takes to reach people for Christ. Whatever it takes. We have to do something. Now, a story. Come on up here, pal. This is Luther. And let's stand on the right side this time. Okay, because we were in a car together and Luther is the um, head of Life Agape in Egypt. And you have how many staff? We have 160 full-time staff. 160 full-time staff. And his work there leads people to Jesus Christ and they do all sorts of social good as, as well. Tell us the four areas you're involved in. Well, we are involved in reaching students for Christ, which is high school and university students. We have like 40 full-timers working in this, in this area. The second one is leaders impact that we call we are trying to reach the most effective people in the country to get to know Jesus and be uh, tools and instruments in God's hand to reach their colleagues the third one is working with the church alongside the church to plant churches, plant churches and to train the leaders of the church to go and share their faith with others encourage them and the fourth one is the digital strategies where we use websites and home pages and Facebook and yeah. Twitter and everything and there's about 90 million people in Egypt and less than 1% uh, know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord but beyond that the work coming out of Egypt is helping to reach the whole Middle East yes. and that's why we've joined with them in partnership Amen. and why would God use Egypt that way well Egypt is mentioned in the Bible many times I think is it's it? uh, mentioned in the Bible 697 times that's don't ask me about the states yeah that's more than America it's more, more. <laughs> don't ask me about this and, and, and is it like the center of the world yes we believe that I'm because I will give you some illustrations or sure. some thoughts that we write from Arab from right to left I don't know the rest of the world write backwards I don't yeah, know why I don't know why yeah but we go from right to left and in Egypt uh, like in, in Europe they made the time here you keep the time we have the time you have the time <laughs> yes and, and you, look at this yeah map yeah he also. says we even we even put them in the middle of the world here yeah there is five 
banners here and it's easy to find Egypt in the middle right there you see center of the world so it's the center of the world yeah yeah, yeah. Cleopatra <laughs> Cleopatra and yeah. Nefertiti yeah yeah and, yeah. and so it is Egypt is of course one of the great civilizations of, of the whole world but it's now a, a, a Muslim country and yeah. you're evangelicals um, and um, there's a story when when he picked us up at the hotel to start showing us around Cairo and see if we wanted to form this partnership he said to me in the car he was driving and I was right here and he says uh, Lon I'm Dr. Lon I'm sorry but I won't be able to be with you today as you're with my staff and I said why and you said well I have been invited to go to this police center I received the phone call from 000 this may, drives me crazy, of course, when I look on my phone. So uh, he told me, come, we want to have coffee. By the way, I love coffee. You love coffee, but, but not, not his coffee. coffee. No, no. He, he yeah. was being called in before the secret police. And how many times has that happened? Well, at least last year, it happens three or four times. But it happens from time to time, okay. of course. So, and so this was not a, a friend uh, no, visit, was no, it? No, no. Come and have coffee. That come and I want to question you and interrogate you. So I used to call, talk to my wife and our crisis management director to let them know that I'm going this yeah. time. But I don't have any idea for how long this will... He never knows if he'll be released yes. once he's there. Really. All right. so, so why did they call you in that time? Actually, this was, uh, this took place in Ramadan. Ramadan month is the holy month of Muslims. They fast the whole day for 30 or 31 days from the sunrise to the sunset. So we got a crazy idea during this Ramadan that um, while people start to break their fasting at 6 or 7 o'clock at night, um, uh, we, uh, many people like to to do some good things to give away or to give dates and juice for Muslims to break their uh, fasting. So we got, we said, why don't we do that as Christians? So we decided to go to many squares and streets in a city of 22 millions and to distribute dates and juice, but with Jesus' film as well. Yeah, so dates, juice, and Jesus films. Yes. So the, this DVD we in Egypt. Yeah, during Ramadan. <laughs> so during this Ramadan. is what drove him crazy. He said, "What are you doing?" I said, "We're showing God's love and our love to our neighbors, to Muslims, because we believe that we have to show God's love." So he said, "I could understand dates and juice, but..." Why Jesus film? You are evangelizing Muslims. I said, uh, well, we're not evangelizing, but we're sharing them our love and the message. It's against the law it's to evangelize the law. in Egypt. Yes. So he said, okay, then you go, don't do this again. And you know what's going to happen if you did it. Actually, I sometimes I don't understand very well. So what I understood that don't do it in this particular square. So the rest of the months we did it in other places and we have been distributing like more than 6,000 Jesus film and the Bible alongside the Jews and dates. Yeah. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. There's an illustration of it. Also, he'll be back tonight for the, for the meeting if you want to get to know him. He has a nickname of, um, 
he calls himself Romeo. And, and that's, his name's Luther. It's not Romeo. But his wife's name Juliet, so he just thought he'd ride that. Yeah. So he's also a very funny man and uh, a, a courageous champion for Jesus Christ. Well, that's what God has for all of us, friends. And it started with our Lord Jesus. In 1929 and 30, our church got on board with it. It's happening today there. It's happening here. And God wants it to happen a lot more. No one gave more than Jesus. When you think about this harassed, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus would subject himself to harassment. He would be tormented, bewildered, and beat up on every side. Jesus subjected himself to death. He went all the way for the kingdom, for the promise of new birth and new life for our world. And he calls you and I to the same. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the great shepherd. As the scripture says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. So what is God asking of us? A lot of you are sent servants and you are sharing Jesus and you are serving where there is human need. But perhaps some of you need to join that ship. Perhaps some of you need to do more. I don't know. I'm not trying to guilt this thing. I'm just telling you the, the facts. God so loved the world, he left us here. So we make a difference. If you would take out this form in your program folder this morning. On one side it was your notes because you've taken vol voluminous notes on my message, I know. And then on the other side it's got this thing called Reach the World. If you would take that please. Because I'm going to give you a minute just by yourself with some soft music playing from the band. And here's what I'm going to ask you. I've already filled mine out. See you later Luther. Everybody say bye Luther. See you tonight, Luther. Okay. Uh, right at the top, it's got this thing, friends, relatives, acquaintances, and neighbors. Remember, this whole passage ends with Jesus said, pray. So pray. Who are friends, relatives, acquaintances, and neighbors that you long to see know Jesus Christ in your life? Start praying for them. Don't relent. Start praying for them. You'll start caring for them. Then farther down below, underneath where it says, and every, everywhere. I think we had that uh, slide up. We're probably back on me now. And everywhere. God, I promise to pray for these missionaries and global partners throughout the year. Who is God calling you to pray for that was up here on the stage? All of their pictures were in your bulletin today. Maybe God's calling you. I, I, today, God's called me to pray for Luther, Samer in Israel, Dan in Israel, and our work amongst the refugees in Lebanon. That's what I'm to pray for. But before I did that, I put a great big three-letter name right there, Lon, L-O-N, and I circled it because I got to pray for me first to be sent. So write your name there 
any missionaries God's calling you to pray for, and then who are the individuals you're praying for. Use this time to write that down. Keep it in your Bibles or your notebooks. God bless you.